When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our uh, producer. Let's call him today. Today, let's call him uh, Noel the Safety Seat Brown. Safety, safety belt. Yeah. Yeah. It needs work. It needs work. It does need work. Maybe, uh, hmm, I can't, I can't really think of anything better right now, but maybe we'll come up with something during the episode. Well, his name's Noel Brown. We could call him Noel Aurora Brownialis. How about we do this? These are terrible. Father Noel Brown. Father Noel Brown. Hole in one, Scott. Not bad at all. And that will link into our episode, as longtime listeners know, in a, in a pretty interesting way, I guess. Yeah, sure. This whole thing is interesting to me. It is interesting. This is something that a lot of listeners wrote in uh, about the first time we mentioned this car. And today we are talking about the car that I famously called Smile, that I famously said was smiling like a jackass. Yeah, that's right. And it, you don't really get an idea of what he means until you do a Google search and find this vehicle online. It's not that hard to find some photographs because it is, uh, it's been, uh, photographed many, many times in the last, what, seven or eight years, Absolutely. I guess? Absolutely. Yeah. Since its restoration, uh-huh. which we're going to get to. Right. Uh, but it is a, uh, it's a highly unique vehicle. And even, even the type of vehicle that it is is unique all the way up through present day. I mean, it was created as a, a certain, type of vehicle before that ve- that type of vehicle was even really known it wasn't classified as this type right. of vehicle until after this one was built so this is the first of its kind and even among that it's it's a rarity yes ladies and gentlemen today we are talking about the aurora safety car the very first experimental safety vehicle and that's what i was getting at is that yeah. these are experimental safety vehicles and this is the very first of its kind and there are not many to follow, you know, all right. the way through present day. So experimental safety vehicles weren't always called experimental safety vehicles. It didn't happen until 1973, and that's long after this car was designed in 1957. Mm-hmm. So it kind of retroactively applies to the one we're talking about today. 
but for about 18 years, um, ESV stood for experimental safety vehicle. And then they did something interesting. This is, I found a term here that I thought, this is why I mentioned it as a sidebar, really. All right. They backronymed this, uh, oh, this term. Yes. Yeah. Now, if you don't know what a backronym is, it's when they take something that already stands for something, like experimental safety vehicles, ESV. They don't like experimental safety vehicle, but they do like the acronym ESV. So they keep that part and then they create a new term to fit that abbreviation. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, as of 1991, the ESV abbreviation um, is now uh, now stands for Enhanced Safety of Vehicles. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they they backronymed uh, you know this this whole this whole category of vehicles. And uh, getting back to our vehicle mm-hmm. in 1957, this guy the guy that created this didn't really know what he was doing. He just had a bunch of good ideas. Right, and that man was Father Alfred A. Giuliano. He was a Catholic priest, Scott. Yeah. Which goes into, you know, Father Noel Brown. Unusual for a priest to design a vehicle, to say the least, right? Right. And I don't want to pigeonhole uh, the church there, but I, I don't, you know, priests are not particularly well known for their uh, automotive innovation. No, and the reason, and this is also kind of an interesting story, is that this guy was interested in automotive design. He was an artist. He actually you know, studied art and, yeah. and design. And I think he was a painter. He painted with oil a lot, as one of his uh, nieces mm-hmm. said in one of these accounts of him. Uh, but he, uh, he said that he had accepted, or I'm sorry, he, he nearly accepted a scholarship. Ah, yes, from GM to study with the legendary Harley Earl. Yes, so that's right in that sweet spot when Harley Earl was there as you know head of design at, at General Motors. Unfortunately, this invitation, this was one of those scholarships that people across the world probably were trying to get. At the time, uh, the... The fact that he had won, the news only reached him after he had been ordained as a priest. Ah, so just missed it, right? So just he's he's torn between these two worlds. You know, is he is he going to continue on with his with the priesthood, or will he uh, or will he give that up and become a, an automotive designer? Well, he decided to combine the two loves, right? So right. he's uh, he remained a priest, remained a uh, a Catholic priest, but he decided that he was going to build the safest car in the world. Really, that's mm-hmm. uh, that was his goal. His main goal was to create a car that, you know, somebody could get in and be uh, or consider it as the world's safest automobile. Right. And this is where we have to say uh, a little bit about the aesthetic of the vehicle. If you have had a chance to look it up now while you're listening to the podcast, then you will see it's uh, a divisive vehicle. It's the Dodge Diora all over again. Oh, boy. You have to bring that up because we're getting a lot of responses about that. We are getting a lot of responses. People are pretty divided. Well, and it, you're right. It's, it's a mixed response. We're getting some that love it, some that hate it. No one is saying, I'm kind of 50-50 about it. No. I don't think I've heard one person say, I kind of like it in this way, but I don't like it in this way. I think everybody's either, that's awful, or this is great. And you can weigh in on Twitter and Facebook, where we're Car Stuff HSW at both of those, to let us know what you think of the Aurora when you get a look at it, to let us know if you what you think of the Diora if you want to continue that conversation. Funny how similar those names are, isn't it? Yeah, there might be a pattern there. Yeah. And uh, someone on Twitter posted a great picture of an earlier uh, Explorer concept that is almost the same. I think that was Aaron Cooper. He sent, yeah. uh, he sent, and it's nearly identical in color, but it had full operational doors on the side instead of that crazy hatch in the yeah, front. Yeah, front hatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had another back and forth conversation with Rudy Smith about um, an old Ford Econoline van, I think. Mm-hmm. And it had a similar design. It was kind of like one of those cab over designs, you know, the, the um, where the engine's underneath the front end and all the weight and everything. So, so if you get up to, I think it was a comparison test between 
you know, this, this Ford Econoline van and a, uh-huh. uh, with the old Corvair pickup truck. And Cor- the Corvair pickup truck was the one being touted in this video. So they got up to a speed of about 45 miles per hour, hit the brakes really hard, mm-hmm. and the Dodge van stood up on end on the front bumper. Almost the front windshield goes down towards the, the, uh, the pavement, stands up, you know, the back wheels come way up off the ground and then it slams down. Wow. That's at 45 miles an hour. They do the same thing in the Corvair and, uh, you know, it, of course, remains all four wheels on the pavement. Uh-huh. But it looks like if they were to go about 50 or maybe 55, the same thing would happen with the Corvair probably. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it was a cool comparison. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll post it on our Facebook page. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, we should also post some pictures of this because we mentioned the Aurora safety car in our earlier podcast. Yes, we did. And that's what uh, prompted so many people to respond, right? So we decided we had to look at this and answer the question, is this the ugliest car ever made? Uh, now, Father Giuliano had a different take on this whole thing. Right. Because he knew that he wanted to implement a bunch of safety features, which we're going to talk about in a minute, all these safety yeah functions of this vehicle, he said, I think the quote was something like, Americans won't pay for safety. And he knew that they wanted a beautiful car, beautiful design. So he really made his best attempt to make what he thought was a beautiful vehicle. And this is an 18-foot long, mm-hmm. very swoopy car, very, very smooth car. And by all accounts, they say the workmanship, the craftsmanship of the yeah. body of this thing is unbelievable. It's, it's impeccable. It's spot on. The uh, the, the, the bodywork, which was fiberglass, right? Right. And, and uh, the windows were plastic. Yeah, like a resin. I think it was a, a plexiglass resin, I mm-hmm. think. Um, amazing work. And he worked with uh, Owens Corning, I believe, on the on the body work, he mm-hmm. said. And uh, his, his niece told, uh, you know, later on. Oh, by the way, the car was named Aurora because his niece's name was Dawn. And in Latin, Aurora means Dawn. So that's why the, the, the name is Aurora. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Man. Uh, so this thing was uh, made in fiberglass and plastic. Everybody said whether or not you thought it was an ugly car, you couldn't deny that it was well made. They were aiming at a retail price of $12,000. Yeah, expensive. Very expensive for the time. Uh, but the body was supposed to be dent-proof, rust-proof, corrosion-proof. Uh, it also had an Astrodome roof, which yeah, that, I thought was a cool feature. Isn't that funny they call it Astrodome? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. That's that plexiglass roof that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and it had uh, metal shades inside. Uh, like a, you right. could draw shades, almost like in a house you could draw the shades. Yes, and uh, what's what's funny about that is this idea of more visibility for the driver is great, and it's something that Elon Musk got behind quite recently with the Model X. Yeah, sure, and, uh, you know, it's funny. They designed – well, there's there's a lot behind the shape of the – of the front windshield area and right. that dome as well. So we'll, we'll talk about we'll that to too. That, yeah. But this guy, when he started out, when he, when his idea first started, he, now he knew design. He knew, um, you know, the, what he wanted really, but he had no mechanical knowledge at all when he be, first began this. So he was right. just kind of, you know, flying by the seat of his pants doing a lot of this stuff. And where he started with, um, he started with a 1953 Buick Roadmaster chassis, um, a car that was completely totaled. Right. It had a bent frame and everything. He bought a totaled vehicle, drug it into the shed out back, and and started to work on it. He straightened the frame mm-hmm. and, uh, and then got to work on a, uh, I guess it was a, a plywood shell that he made. Yep. And I think he even had clay scale, mo- scale models like, you know, a professional designer would have. Right. Um, and then worked from that to build this, you know, plywood shape that then he built the molds on top of for the body work and, you know, for the fiberglass. It was just quite – it was quite a process. It took a long, long time. I, I, I've heard – Different accounts of how long this took to build. Yeah, you might hear four years in total. 
Yeah. Uh, you, what, what other numbers? Well, you might hear five because I think they said it took three years of planning or two years of planning, uh, you know, design sketches, blueprints, all that. And then three years to actually build the vehicle. And, you know, of course he's doing this all on his own. He had a few, um, of his parishioners, I think that helped him out. Yeah. And, uh, financially helped him too. Some of his congregation members up in Connecticut. Yeah. They were making donations that were supposed to be strictly for this vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that comes into play later. Right. And so we are going to talk about some of the features. And one of the first features I would like to talk about Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and the last star on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's pretty cool. It's a a nice idea. It's very humane. But it's also one of the reasons that so many people think this car is just an utter dog. Very humane. The the cow catcher front. Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you're right. It's it's with good intent, right? Right. So it's a foam-filled pedestrian catcher. If you look 
right where a grill would normally be, there's this uh, protrusion, right? And uh, it is filled with foam. The idea being that if you hit a pedestrian with the safety car, instead of running them over, it will scoop them up. Yeah, and when we say foam, we mean like, uh, you know, like the soft uh, dash material, maybe, right. something like that. Yeah. You know, like a, a foam like that, not like um, like shaving foam or something. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which would be very difficult to right. do. But, uh, yeah, the idea of a, of a pedestrian catcher on your vehicle it always makes me chuckle a little bit because, I mean, that's always a bad situation. There's really not going to be a good situation with this. I mean, I, I understand the idea behind it, the thought behind right. it, and we've seen this done um, many, many years prior to this, decades before this, with uh, with some metal uh, cow catcher type thing or pedestrian catcher uh-huh. type things, uh, which were equally silly. I mean, uh, honestly, maybe maybe it'll keep people from going under the vehicle, which is great. Uh, but is it really any better to be you know mashed up against the grill of a vehicle? I, I don't right. know. It's 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 a tough call to make, really. But it's an interesting feature, and it's been tried a couple of times throughout history. And this this car was. Uh Father Giuliano's attempt to take all of the safety-related innovations he had ever imagined and put them in one vehicle. So this cowcatcher thing is only one of those features. Yeah, there's a few others and some that aren't so silly and some that have a a silly twist to them, too. Right. Um, We'll mention a few of them now. There's a spare tire that was located at the very front of the vehicle in what he called a crush zone. And we've talked about crumple zones, right? Sure, sure. They're the areas of a chassis specifically designed to collapse in the event of a collision. Sure, chassis, bodywork, anything that's a, that, that absorbs some of that energy mm-hmm. instead of the occupants inside. Because uh, cars were built so rigid back then that right. uh, the, the human inside took a lot of the impact. And, and that also will come in later yes. you know, with, with another one of his ideas, a, a crazy idea. But um, now that we're talking about the front of the vehicle, we should also mention the headlights. Yeah, yeah. There were six headlights, and this was going to be replaced by a light bar when the car eventually went into production, which he thought would be very soon after. Right, exactly. Uh, that's something else we need to mention. This car never went into production. Yeah, never quite made it, and we'll tell you why. We'll but tell it was, you why. It was darn close. It really was. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about some some of these features while we're at the front. We have to talk about. That windshield, Scott. Oh, yeah, that's crazy, isn't that it? That weird windshield. That is maybe, I, I don't know, without, imagine this car without that weird windshield, that it, that it had a, a standard okay. or closer to standard flat front end, or front windshield, rather. Would that help this design a bit? I mean, because it has a really strange, look, almost like a nose protruding from the, the top of the vehicle. Right, Or a yeah. forehead or something it's like bulbous. that. bulbous. Yeah, it's really weird. It's, it, it curves outward mm-hmm. and then back up into the dome. And uh, a strange design, but the idea behind this was, well, there's a couple of ideas behind sure. it. One was that a lot of people at the time in the mid-1950s were being injured in accidents because their their heads would hit would strike the dashboard, or the glass, rather. Yeah. And he thought, well, I'll just take the glass out of this. And, of course, they're going to still hit the, the dashboard, but the dashboard was then really heavily padded. I mean, thick, thick padding on the right, dash. Right, right. Uh, so that he's taking the glass out of the equation, but... Um, the other thing was that the design of it was a lot like an aircraft design in that if it was raining, uh, that the droplets of water would then just be kind of uh, peeled away from the, the driver's view. Right, when um, they're at speed. Yeah, at speed. So there's no need for windshield wipers as well. So he's eliminating parts by making that unusual shaped windshield up front. And keep in mind, this is uh, before the invention of airbags, right? So he's thinking uh, along, the, he's thinking about the same problem. 
Yeah. And, uh, and we've seen that padded dash in uh, other manufacturers sure. have done similar, you know, that because yeah. they were all metal prior to that and they were a lot, there were a lot of sharp edges and, and, you know, buttons and knobs that were, mm-hmm. uh, man, they were awful dangerous looking, you know, metal, uh, metal design, very sharp, very pointy. I always think about the, uh, turbine shaped steering wheel columns. Yeah, you're right. Like, um, oh, that, that, uh, well, Sammy Davis Jr., that's how he lost his eye in a Cadillac like that. Um, I think, he, I think he hit his eye on the horn button. Oh. In, during his accident and, uh, and caused him to lose one of his eyes. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know much about Sammy Davis Jr. I didn't know, know how he lost his eye. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that. Um, so, anyways, this thing has a ton of other stuff oh, in it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're, while we're inside, I guess there was a, a uh, dashboard control that we should mention here uh, mm. for the hydraulic jo- uh, hydraulic jacks. Yes. Okay. So, a lot of this is about convenience too, about avoiding situations in which someone might be injured. So, these hydraulic jacks would lift the vehicle up for service. So, if you need to change the oil, for instance. You would just have the jacks kick in. This is crazy. I mean, we've seen this in other cars, um, you know, ideas, idea cars, concept vehicles. We also see it in race cars now. You know, know, cars come in and they put down the automatic jacks, the vehicle's, you know, up on its own. You don't have to have a jack man uh, to lift the vehicle. This is really cool for, like, if you you were going to have a vehicle that could do this on the side of the road for you. Oh, yeah. What a time saver. Um, Plus... I think there was a device that would, or something that would hydraulically lower that spare tire up front too. So you didn't have right. to, you didn't have to crawl into the vehicle in order to get that done. You could, you could lower that automatically. Yeah. And that to me is a luxurious level of convenience. Uh, they also had side impact bars, collapsible steering column, which as we mentioned was a, a very dangerous thing at the time. Uh, and they also, let's see, what else do you think we should name? Well, inside? Stuff? Yeah. The seats. We got to talk about the seats because ah, these yeah. were also an unusual design. So, so you're getting the idea that this thing is really uh, extraordinary from from you know stem to stern, really, because inside it had pedestal mounted seats that were high and to the center of the vehicle in in case of a side impact. So he's thinking right. about uh, side impact as well as front impact and rear impact. And <laughs> this is another crazy. There's one other feature. thing, yeah. Well, okay, two things. He put seatbelts in all four positions, which was revolutionary at the time. You know, they, they just weren't doing that. A lot of times, you know, the driver might have a seatbelt, but no one else had the seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Or the front seats had it, but not the back seats. He put them in all four positions. And, again, these pedestal-mounted seats, um, think of like a, almost like a bar stool, I guess. Like right. A, like a big, comfy, cushy bar stool or even like a, an office chair. And <laughs> this is so crazy. And I've, I've got something that's similar to this, but the idea that these things could swivel – Right. And the idea was that if a car is approaching you from the front, you would swivel in your seat 180 degrees so that your back is facing the vehicle that's approaching. Because you'd have enough time. Yeah, that, that always astounds me that they think of this. Now, didn't we talk about a car in the past that had a, uh, a safety compartment, like a safety zone that you could di- you could supposedly dive into? Yeah. Uh, it was on the floorboards of the vehicle. And if you saw a crash, a crash coming, you were to dive into that safety zone. It was like a, a reinforced box that was uh-huh. on the floor of the, of the car. I wish for the life of me I could remember what car that was. I know I know we've talked about it, and I'll and I'll probably think of it after this podcast ends. Um, anyways, that that always reminds me of that it's like when you when you see a car coming, of course you're going to have time to swivel your seat out of the way so that uh, you know you're not facing the impact or get into your panic room, your panic floorboard. <laughs> it, it always kind of cracks me up. I, but the I, intentions are good. Yeah, very the intentions very, are noble. Very good intention, and and I think you already mentioned you know the uh, the side impact bars and the collapsible steering column and all that. So there's right. a lot of, and the padded dash and all that. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the interior of this car as well. 
Um, just a, a crazy design. And this prototype, as you mentioned early on in the podcast, Ben, you said it was, um, you said they were shooting for a, a target price, an MSRP. Yes. If you, if you will, of if the car, will. of the car that he was going to build, um, of $12,000. Now this was 1957 mm-hmm. or 1958, right around there. And right then you got to remember what else is out there. The, the Cadillac Brome, the Cadillac, Cadillac Eldorado Brome was priced at about $13,000. And so you're looking at something that is right around the price range of a, of a really nice Cadillac. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, would people be willing to jump on the bandwagon for such a new vehicle with this this crazy futuristic styling and right. all these features? And if we adjust for inflation, $12,000 in 1957 is about $102,000. Well, $102,092.17. All right, so you got to look at it with that filter on as well that you know this is an expensive expensive vehicle and the prototype itself cost thirty thousand dollars to build now i'm not too surprised by that i understand that you know when you're getting one-offs made and you're talking you're you're consulting with owens corning about the body work and all that i understand where a lot of this cost comes from but remember he was getting uh donations from his parishioners too at at this time so he was being funded by them and you know, whatever he could put into it as well. So he's taking out loans in order to make all this work. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind as we, mm-hmm. as we move forward here. So this whole thing is ready. It's, it's completed. And uh, I think it was on the cover of Mechanics Illustrated back in 1957. And they were talking about the safety cards. It's featured, you know, with one of uh, about a third of the front page here. I'm looking mm-hmm. at an old photograph of the uh, Mechanics Illustrated. And then, of course, it was due for a public unveiling in uh, in nineteen well also in 1957 yeah in New York he scheduled his own press conference which is un- not unusual you schedule a press conference to uh, you know like a media event you're going to have the public and the media there and this is supposed to happen at the the um, Hotel New Yorker on 35th Street um, in New York City in 1957 and he had planned to drive the Aurora to its introduction he was going to arrive on the scene in the vehicle that he was was touting that day. However, there was a problem. <laughs> so what? So what happened along the way, Ben? So remember, we said the uh, we said the the engine right was a Buick, right? Sure. Uh, it was an engine that had not been cranked in four years. Yeah. So he left it in the shed, you know, doing all this work on the car without really maintaining the mechanicals of the of the of the vehicle underneath. So here's a car that has you know fuel problems. It broke down on the way to the press conference. And then it broke down again, still on the way to the press conference. Yeah. And then it broke down again. It broke down a total of 15 times on the way to the unveiling. Now, this sounds like a joke, doesn't it? I mean, it does. It, it broke down literally 15 times, requiring him to go to, or get, to get toes to seven different garages along the way. I guess the distance from where he was traveling to where he was supposed to, you know, supposed to get to right. was supposed to be a 90 minute trip. You know, he had planned 90 minutes to make this trip. It took him 11 hours to get there. So he's got this press conference. All the media is there. 11 hours is what it took him to get there. He shows up way, way late. And then when he gets there, it seems like it was kind of a, uh, a sad, sad trombone moment, you know, like, uh, uh yeah. Wah, wah. yeah, cause, uh, everybody was not particularly impressed. I mean, they were, they were kind of blown away by the by the styling, the unique styling and the, so and the canopy and all that. Yeah, unusual. However, they weren't too impressed with uh, you know the the power plant. You know that was just a standard Buick engine, and um, some of these ideas were a little bit too outlandish for some people. You know they didn't think that it was uh, 
it was feasible to, to do that and right. the price. The price was the big sticking point. Yeah, the price was a big sticking point. So there were, again, remember in, in $57, this is over a hundred grand. So there were no advance orders. So Father Giuliano was in a tough spot. He had debts. The car that he was trying to sell for 12 grand cost 30 grand to build all in all. And he didn't have a way to recoup the investment because no one was buying these cars and then at this point, Scott, we enter into the world of conspiracies. Oh, or yeah. A- alleged conspiracies. Yeah, alleged conspiracies is maybe the better way to put it because questions were raised at this point. They decided that, uh, you know, they were going to look into his finances. Rumors were where, spread. Where did a priest come up with $30,000 to build a dream car? You know, how how did that uh, happen? And so they started looking into you know, exactly where these donations were coming from and what they were intended for initially. Like, were they supposed to go to the church? Were they supposed to go to just this project that the father, you know, that Father right. Giuliano had? So they look into that. And and also there's the conspiracy bit here comes about with uh, with General Motors, right? Yes. So the allegations are that General Motors sparked this whole thing. That they General said, Motors did a smear campaign. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, well, is there, is there another familiar story that that happened uh, recently, like maybe 10 years prior? I know. Let's just pause and let the listeners shout that out. Shout it out if you know the answer. Don't don't worry about what the other person at the stoplight thinks of you. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! 
Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you ride the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're right. It's Preston Tucker. Yeah. And I totally believe this story about Preston Tucker. Yes, I did too. I I think that was, uh, I I think the big three were playing some dirty pool and they shut down Tucker. Uh, We are in the same boat on that one. I, I completely agree with you on that one. This, I don't know. No, this one, I mean, well, whoever did. I mean, the, the thing is that it led to, uh, you know, the other, the other priest, the, uh, the Catholic Church actually looking yeah. into where these donations came, came from. So they're looking at, uh, you know, misappropriation of, of donations. Um, mm-hmm. the IRS is looking into, uh, possible tax liabilities that he has, you know, problems. And he was also in, he was really deeply in debt at this point. So, you know, he, he had taken out loans against this. You know, he, he owed a lot of people for a lot of different things. In fact, he owed even the garages that, you know, had, that he had taken the vehicle to, you know, during the breakdowns. He owed yeah. them money. He owed everybody money at this point. So he's in bad, bad shape. And, you know, the, uh, with this misappropriation of funds, you know, that the, um, uh, that, that the Catholic Church is coming down on him for. Right. His job is in danger. And this guy, he's, he's falling apart at this point. And it's all because of this vehicle. And it gets worse. Uh, he's also forced to leave a religious order that he's joined, the Order of the Holy Ghost. Uh, historically noted for its work running hospitals. Uh, he, it, it also continues to worsen. He eventually declares bankruptcy. Yeah. And even one step farther than that, he ended up having to just basically give away the vehicle that he had just created. He had to, uh, he gave, he gave it to the shop that he owed money to, um, you know, for some repair along the way. So this thing, uh, he didn't even have anything left over from this whole, you know, awful tale of, of what's happened to him over the last five years. Actually, it was a good tale to begin with. He thought everything was going to work out fine until until that press conference. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, when you know when it went south, it went south so quickly. Uh, the the Aurora itself, the prototype, changes hands over a number of years, uh, and eventually, in 1967, it's just abandoned. Yeah, it's left kind of rotting in this field behind a garage. And somewhere along the way, you know, again, also decades later, uh, Father Giuliano passed away. And this is so sad, Ben. I mean, the guy, his dream had been crushed. Right. Uh, he had been kicked out of, uh, you know, out of the, uh, the order of the Holy Ghost and, um, his name had been slandered. You know, there was just a lot of bad things that happened here, but he passed away in 1989. I Think of a brain hemorrhage. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, he was in a library reading when it happened. So just some, some ordinary day, sits down to read a book, and, and he's gone. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, but the story doesn't end there. We said that the car was abandoned and left just uncared for for decades. Things start to change in 1993 when a British fellow named Andy Saunders saw uh, saw a a sketch of the vehicle, so not even a picture, a sketch of the vehicle 
in a book about dream cars. Yeah, he was. I guess he and his dad were looking through this book, or his dad had looked through the book and yeah. he found the sketch, and he saw this tiny little drawing, and you know, it said it was a a, um, a car called the Aurora, nothing much more than that. It was just simply that. And the guy, he said, as soon as I saw it, you know, well, his dad said, "Have you ever seen anything so ugly as this? You know, this is the worst car ever, or something along that lines." Mm-hmm. And I, he saw it and he said, "You know what? That car's so ugly, I've got to have it." Right. Yeah. Which is uh, psychologically an interesting thing to say. Yeah. So he begins the search for this vehicle, and it took him years, years to to just locate the car. That, right. I mean, just to find it, because I think um, you know the account that I was looking at said that um, he found it. Through an old photo, which he found, I don't know where he found the old photo of it at the time because it was early on. You couldn't just do a Google search back then for, for stuff like this. So um, he found a, a photo, and in the background there was a billboard for the repair shop uh, that, that housed this vehicle at the time. So he found the repair shop and then contacted the owner and arranged to buy the car, you know, of course, sight unseen. Yeah. $1,500, but then he had to have it shipped over to England. And how much did that cost? An additional $2,000. So this guy has sunk... $3,500 into this car. Just to get it. He's never seen, just to have it. And when he got it, <laughs> this is a funny quote from him, I think, from this article. Yeah. He says, when he got it, the car was in disastrous shape. He said it had mostly melted, and I wish I had never laid eyes on it, is what he said. He said, you know, so at that moment, he's feeling really defeated. Right, because let's remember, the structure of this vehicle was what? Fiberglass and wood. Fiberglass and wood, and and. You know, that plexiglass resin top that right. undoubtedly... Which will brown over time. Yeah, and gone brittle and all that. Yeah. And you can imagine what the interior is like. I mean, I, I'm looking at a photo here of uh, the car as it sat in the field behind the garage, and it was a wreck. I mean, a real wreck. Like, most people wouldn't take on a project like this. Right. But, so but he did. He did. He did. And uh, it was not an easy road. First off, there was no documentation of the car. There were anecdotes of how it was made. Secondly, the man who created it wasn't around to help, you know, help the, a massive amount of reverse engineering that had to go into this. So he's, instead of using blueprints and all this that, you know, that at one time did exist, uh, they're no longer around. He's using old photographs, like from the press conference, you know, the day of the New York press conference, there's some, there's some pretty nice photos of the car. But nothing that would show you how to recreate what's there. I mean, what's underneath and, you know, mm-hmm. no real detail. So he's got not a whole lot to go on, but he does it and he brings it back and it looks pretty darn close to the way it did in 1957, in my right. opinion. Uh, yeah. By what, 2005, Scott, he completes the restoration. <laughs> yeah. That's a long time. That's a long project. I mean, he, I'm sure he had to fabricate some parts. This is us uh, from the point that he saw it in that magazine to that point is 12 years, right? Yeah. That's a long time. So I don't know how much, I don't know how much of that was actually working on the vehicle because it said it took years to just locate it. It's that old, it's that old, uh, philosophical problem, isn't it? How, how much restoration can occur before <laughs> it's just a new car? Yeah, that's right. And, but when he did finish it, when he did finish it, when it was a new car, as you say, yeah. Um, in 2005, uh, all this hard work paid off because he was invited to show the car at the Goodwood Festival of Speed in England. Which we, shameless plug, also have a podcast about if you haven't checked it out. Yes, we do. And, and I mean, quite an event to be, uh, you know, for its debut. Oh, yeah. Amazing. That's really, really cool. And people liked it. People loved it now. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's got that, uh, it's got that charm of the 1950s. You know, it's like that uh, retro-futuristic look. That people really dig. I mean, it's kind of like uh, the space age technology from a 1950s product, you know, like uh, yeah. 
I don't, I don't mean to say that this looks like a, like a, uh, like a, a spacecraft or anything like that, but, you know, the bubble canopy, that was, of course, popular at the sure, time. Yeah. Know, it was like a, like a jet fighter or something like that. It looks like retro futuristic. Yes. Yes, exactly right. And, uh, it, so anyways, it, uh, it actually created quite a splash at the, uh, at the event. And then from that point forward, it's, it's been on display at the National Motor Museum in Hampshire in the UK. And um, he, he also, I, I just want to point out that Saunders also notes the excellent craftsmanship and he doesn't feel that he's completely restored the vehicle. He said there was some stuff that he just couldn't replicate that Father Giuliano did. Really? Yeah. What, uh, uh, the fiberglass bodywork or the Perspex windscreen. Yeah. He said he did the best job he could, but not only could he not do it, he couldn't find anyone capable of doing it. Now, is that incredible? I mean, this this uh, this priest with no mechanical knowledge really created something that was really, I mean, not flawless, but close to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and everybody who saw the original said just how astounding the work was on the, the body work and the the glass canopy and all that. Mm-hmm. They said it was just impeccable the way it was put together. And I can imagine trying to you know um, match yourself up to that. You know, in the in the reproduction of that would be difficult. Yeah, and yeah, it's a tough sure. standard to go against. And and you know the thing the thing about this is you know when you look at automotive visionaries like this, he tried to put so many things into one vehicle. He tried to cram. Right tried to cram all this stuff into one car, it seems like if, if he had just got, taken a milder approach to this whole thing, a, a bit milder, would it have flown? Would people have wanted it? Would people have decided that, you know, it's maybe that is the car for me? Maybe it's uh, maybe the styling was just a little too dramatic, and maybe there were just too many crazy new features for people to really uh, grasp onto and say, like, yeah, I can see that in my garage someday. Well... Uh, Saunders certainly thought so. He said if anybody had listened to Father Giuliano, he could have changed the face of motoring. Yeah, but one piece at a time, right? Not, not cramming them all into one vehicle like this. Cause I think that's the, uh, you know, with, with the new safety vehicles, um, you see that, you know, when they, when they call them experimental safety vehicles or as they, they're called now enhanced safety of vehicles. Yeah. Uh, right. which is weird. Backronym. Yeah, the backronym, uh, thing. When you look at like, uh, you know, the Mercedes Benz ESF and, uh, from 2009 or, you know, the, any of these others that were created through the 1970s or, or whatever. Some of those ideas made it through to production, but not all of them. So when they, they, they create those vehicles, they put, you know, 20 safety features on it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, well, they're, they're nice and they all work together real well and everything. But if we took these four and put them into this production car that we already have, we can sell that as a safety package and make that right. an option that's, you know, a $4,000 option these days or whatever. And that seems to work, but this idea might have just been too much at once, really, for the public. You know, I could see that because it's it's so strange with a concept car and unveiling because the vehicle really has the one shot to not embarrass itself. So being just being late for the press conference may have sunk it. You know, sure. uh, they may we may not need any behind the scenes uh, scheming by another car company. Yeah. But the, the, this car itself is asking a lot from the car buyer because it's a, it's a company I've never heard of. It's got a bunch of stuff that I've never heard of. It's $12,000. Keep in mind, it's over a hundred grand. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's asking to invest in something unfamiliar. You're absolutely right about the one shot. It's like the, uh, when you pull that cover back, what's underneath or when it drives uh-huh. through that, uh, through the curtains. And you know this kind of goes back. I've I've seen a lot of uh, concept car reveals and production car reveals too at the at the auto shows and in person 
And the thing is, Ben, you know, like this happened to Tucker as well, didn't it? During his uh, during his unveiling at the yes. factory, yeah, the car wouldn't start, or there was problem, or was it problem with suspension or something like that? But mm-hmm. whatever it was, I can't remember now. But I've seen this happen live. You know, like it's it's ready to happen. The curtains open and the vehicle doesn't pull out. And, you know, the dancers are on stage, the music's going or whatever. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're they're making this whole big show about the whole thing. And the car doesn't pull out. And pretty soon, you know, the exec that's on stage to introduce the car <laughs> is turned around over his shoulder and he's kind of got, you know, shrugging his shoulders. And then they end up pushing the vehicle out. And that is damaging to its uh, reputation immediately. Because yeah. it's noted and it's mentioned in every press release that goes out. We're not a press release from the factory or from the, the company, mm-hmm. but it's mentioned when they write up about it. You know, that uh, even though, you know, this one didn't come out on stage under its own power or something like that. Right. And it is damaging. So, so that initial impression is is really critical and yeah, this guy shows up 10 hours late to his own press conference i mean history is lucky that one reporter was still there that's <laughs> you know? true that's true and again if you get a chance take a look at some photographs and you'll find some that are historic you know from 1957 sure. from that that ceremony you'll find some that are of the car in its uh in its abandoned state you know behind the garage there in uh, i think it was in connecticut wasn't it uh, and, um, yeah i believe so yeah and uh, then you're going to find some some that are of the restored vehicle and uh, some crazy crazy stuff on this one. But I I wouldn't call it beautiful. I, a lot of people call a lot of people say it's the it, it's usually on the list of the ugliest vehicles, and some have called it the absolute ugliest car ever built. So again, another polarizing design because other people think that it's uh, it's so ugly that it's pretty. You know, like uh, like uh, Saunders did. Right. Yeah. I, and I can, I can see that. I definitely think that if the front end of it is, is ugly, I'm concerned about the performance, but the truth is we never got an honest chance to see the performance. No, we didn't. Yeah. And, uh, if, if it was set with a different engine or a working engine, which I'm sure it is now, then we might learn some surprising thing about its capacities, but I haven't, learned anything well you know there was a possibility because he he had written giuliano had written a sales brochure for this vehicle and in that sales brochure he had mentioned that you could have this vehicle with any kind of power plant that you wanted you could have a cadillac engine a lincoln Uh engine uh, i think it was an imperial engine a packard engine bugatti mercedes-benz he promised all the stuff and even interior features that you could kind of swap around these interior um packages i guess you know like different materials and stuff so you know the there was a possibility for different power plants. And, of course, that's all, um, you know, again, his visionary style that, you know, I could see this thing. Instead of having a Buick engine, let's throw a Mercedes-Benz engine in this or a Bugatti right. a Bugatti engine. How crazy is that? I- interesting idea. And it would have, uh, I-, I guess, in some cases, lent reliability to it. Yes. Not that the Buick engine was terrible or anything. It was just that he had neglected it for those four years. Right. He just hadn't cleaned the fuel lines. Something that simple. Uh, however, this story doesn't have a perfect ending, but it does have a not terrible ending, which is, as you mentioned, anyone in the area of Hampshire can go visit the museum, right, the National Motor Museum, and see this car today. Yeah, check out the bodywork for yourself, see if you like it, see if you don't like it, look at it from all different angles, photograph it, send us those photographs. Yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see the interior, uh, some closer looks at the interior. What I do like about the canopy, of course, is that it does lift off, so you can turn it into a convertible. That's true, yeah, it's, it's such a strange design, but if you get a chance to photograph this and, and you can send us those photographs of maybe the interior, yeah, I would love to see that. Yeah, or maybe we can get our bosses to let us take a, a field trip. <laughs> That's a long field trip. It's a long. We would have to. That's uh, 
That's more than a day trip. You driving or am I driving? Because, uh, <laughs> well, to the coast, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, where we catch the, uh, the long, slow boat. Right. And just drive in circles on that. Um, or we could try to see if there's an acronoplan somewhere. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Uh, we would probably die at sea. Probably. Because I don't think they're built to go across the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, that's a, that's a subject for another show. Folks, we want to hear what you think. Is this the ugliest car ever made? I don't see it winning any beauty contests. I would definitely put it in a top ten like most people do. Yeah, but, you know, that's true, man. Objectively, it's true. I guess knowing the story behind it, uh, I've got a soft spot for the guy, for any entrepreneur. So I feel bad saying that this guy's baby was ugly, but... Well, I agree. And, you know, who knows? The production version might have had some, some changes to it. It might have had some body changes to it if it had gotten that far. Like a different body, you mean? Well, I don't know. I mean, part of the, I mean that was all part of his safety features, right? So maybe yeah. not. Well, we've got we've to get out of here and go to our not-quite-as-ugly cars. So uh, we'd love to hear what you think about this. As we said, you can hit us up on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, where you can also participate in the ongoing debate uh, regarding Dioras and now the Aurora. And if you want to send us an email directly with an idea for an upcoming show, we'd love to hear from you. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.